Well, God, uh, thank you that you're a great God who loves us and uh, is involved in our lives no matter what we may think or feel at the time that you're watching over the world and that you're intimately connected with us. And we thank you that as Christians we can have confidence in this, that we are your children, that you've forgiven us, that your grace is on us, that your Holy Spirit is working through us. And we pray that this morning uh, we will be challenged but also lifted up and encouraged by who you are and what you're doing in us. Amen. Fathers and sons, they're supposed to have a special closeness, a special intimacy. Now, Absalom was particularly special to King David, and the people of Israel loved him as well. He was a royal that everyone loved, maybe the Prince Harry of Israel. He had charming manners and was good looking, and he liked the pomp and circumstance of the royal life, and his charisma captivated everyone's hearts. He lived in great style. He drove in a magnificent chariot. And he had 50 men run before him. And his father, King David, he was the great king of Israel, wasn't he? And he had huge influence over the people. But in the case of his own family, he didn't have quite the same influence especially with Absalom. Something was wrong with this relationship. Absalom was actively going against his father. He was turning some of his father's loyal subjects against him. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12, And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. And then it says, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel, they're with Absalom. Then one day, King David found out the terrible, heartbreaking news that his son Absalom was uh, organising a plot to have him killed. Plato the philosopher, he once said, of all the animals, the boy is the most unmanageable. What can David do? He refuses to fight back. He doesn't want a harm to come to his boy. So David makes himself scarce. He runs into hiding. Can you imagine his devastation? This was an honour-shame society. David's honour was ruined. His son had brought him great shame. This is a vivid story, the story of David and Absalom. I don't know if you've ever read it or seen the Richard Gere movie. <laughs> this is a vivid story of the pressures of life for one man, for King David. It's like the, the heat of the sun burning down on him, focusing like it's going through a magnifying glass and burning a hole into his heart. And you would maybe expect King David at this moment when he's when his uh, son is doing this, to become bitter and angry. 
You might expect him to focus on how he might have been a better father. You might expect him to question God. Well, the psalm that we're looking at from Psalm 4 is a psalm, goes with Psalm 3, in fact, a morning and an evening psalm. And this is a psalm attributed to David at this time that he's reflecting as he is in hiding with some of his loyal supporters. That's a psalm of, of praise, of worship, of reflection. Let's look at what he does, how he reflects. And as we do this, let's bring together the themes of this series of how God changes us. And as we finish, the specific focus is going to be on how even, even when the sun is burning down on us and the pressures of life are overwhelming, even in the case of King David, when his son betrays you, for example, even then God can produce good fruit in your life. Let's look at what David does from this psalm, Psalm 4. First of all, he does not run from God. Verse 1 and 2. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? David is not running from God. He's not accusing God of being unfaithful. He's not questioning the truth of the Bible. He's not walking away from his faith. Rather, he's putting himself into God's hands. He could have been discouraged, but rather he's trusting God. He pleads for God to hear his cry. You can think of your, fa- of your faith, of the Christian faith, as being like a rising sun. And as the sun rises in the horizon, it lights up the landscape, the horizon. And it allows you to see things that you couldn't see before. Things that have been hidden in darkness. God shines his light on a dark world. This is true, isn't it? Except it's not the case when it comes to suffering. Because you, you see this, the sun comes up and the faith shines its light on the horizon, but there are still patches of darkness where the sun fails to illuminate. Sometimes a Christian faith takes us on a journey into these places of darkness. We discover things we cannot understand. We find ourselves in places where we've lost complete control. Suffering is one of those areas that calls us the most intellectual emotional and physical discomfort. How can God let this occur? What does this mean? These are the questions we ask. And it's normal to feel this way. Nevertheless, if we're to take our view from King David, from this psalm at least, we need to develop a reaction to God when we're facing those moments, which is to cling to him rather than run from him. Whether you're feeling the ache of loneliness whether you've got a normal financial pressures and debt, the trials of sickness, the pressures of study, worry about employment, concern about housing, conflict and relationships, we need to say to ourselves, I feel abandoned and alone. I feel in the dark. The world is caving in on me, yet I stand by God. Secondly, look at what David does. He reminds himself of his identity as God's child. Verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. 
A point that we've repeated through this series is that whatever our identity is, that is what's going to be the thing that determines how we respond in a given situation, especially in the trials of life. How we view ourselves, that will cause us how, to, how, how we're going to respond. And David reminds himself that God has chosen him, not just as a king, but actually as his child. He doesn't know why this mess is occurring with Absalom, but he still holds on to the fact that he's in God's care. He's confident his father will hear his cry. The New Testament takes the idea of us being God's children quite seriously. Jesus is the Son of God by his very nature. He's the eternal Son of God. And we're brought into that and adopted as sons. This is the language of the Bible. Even if we're women, we're sons and children by adoption, the New Testament says. Being God's children gives us special privileges. We're co-heirs with Christ, says in Romans 8, 17. We share in his sufferings, sufferings in order, order that we may also share in his glory. And we have an intimacy with God so we can call him Abba, Father, Daddy. Even if your relationship with your own dad is messed up, you can nevertheless call God Daddy and know that that relationship is totally secure. When Jesus was suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, concerned for his own life, concerned about Judas, his friend who he knew was betraying him in that very moment, what does he do? He doesn't run from God. He draws close to his Father in heaven and prays to him. There is no other place in the Gospels where we see Jesus' humility and closeness to his Father so starkly. And yet, as C.S. Lewis wrote in his essay, The Efficacy of Prayer, he, Lewis wrote, In Gethsemane, the holiest of all petitioners prayed three times that a certain cup might pass him by, and it didn't. But when your love and trust for the, your Father in Heaven is so strong, you trust in his answers to your prayers, no matter what it is. So, David's in this mess. What does he do? He doesn't run from God, and he reminds himself that he's God's child, no matter what happens. Thirdly, he, he examines his own heart. Verse 4, he says, Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. When you're humble and you lie down before God, it's appropriate to tremble. Shaking in awe, David goes against what most people do when they're under trial. Instead of questioning God's goodness and love, instead of talking about the problem over and over again and rehearsing it and saying, this is the issue and this, this circumstance and it's because of this and who he did and I betrayed and he, I should have done this. Instead of blaming, David doesn't even mention situation with his son. Rather, he examines his own heart. And when we have the pressure on, our hearts are exposed. So for this reason, we have a great opportunity to draw even closer to God. And that's what he's doing. He's choosing to respond this way. Now, how do you examine your own heart? It's kind of a, it sounds a bit psychological. I, I think there are a couple of things you can do. You can you need time, that's one of the things. You need lots of time. Time for meditation, time to pray, time to reflect on your life, 
I like the language of the psalm, time on your bed just to lie there without distractions, without the noise of life. I think you need to talk as well. You need to externalise. When you're examining your own heart, you need to see what's in there and just talk about it. And you might need the wise counsel of others to see the blind spots. You might need to seek a mature friend. And you need truth as well. You need to be honest with yourself and others. Often it's lies or incomplete truth that you repeat over and over again and that's what is blocking you from examining your heart. We don't want to face what we actually know to be true. We need time, we need to talk, we need to get to the truth. So what has David done so far? He's not run from God. He has reminded himself that he's God's child and then he started to examine his heart and fourthly, he worships. Look at verse 5. He offered the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. He doesn't stop going to church, so to speak. <laughs> Rather, he keeps committed to his life pattern of devotion to God. He doesn't let anger stopping him from letting God know how great he is or singing songs of praise or meditating on the scriptures. I tell you, if you want to experience God transform you, when you're going through the hardest pressure of life, when the sun is beaming down on you and burning into your heart and you're feeling the pain and you feel like staying away from your Christian friends and you can't face another Bible study, so to speak, or whatever it is, sing another song, it's, it's then, it's then that you need to pick your feet up and drag them to your church friends. It's then that you should bring your best cake to your community group. It's, it's then that you sing the loudest. The same goes for like marriage, to use a parallel. Every marriage goes through stresses and strains. Um, and it's when you're in the most stress that you need to show the most love and to be the most active in your marriage. As we go through that particular furnace, you cling even more tightly to your marriage. And the same thing goes with your faith. You cling more tightly to God when the trials are heaviest. And if you're going through pressures of life and you start skipping church, for example, or your community group, I want you to know that Beck and I do notice. And it's not that we're like going, ooh, ooh. It's not, we're not that kind of church. It's more like we, think, we, we pray and we think, oh, is there a problem? Is there an issue? And you'll eventually get a call. Uh, you know, sometimes we know why um, you're away and so we leave you alone. But we want to be a church that follows you up. And it's not always easy. People are brilliant at flying below the radar. Um, and we want to encourage you because we believe that we need each other. So David hasn't run from God. He's reminded himself that he's God's child. He's examined his heart. He's kept on worshipping. And fifthly, he ministers. Look at verse 6. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. It seems David has his supporters accompanying him. Absalom had his supporters accompanying him. And so it's a serious situation. And it seems... These people were worried and panicking with David. They were saying, why, why is it us that's in trouble here? Aren't we on God's side? 
But David doesn't get angry with them. He serves them and prays for them the best way he can. He prays that God's face would shine on them all. David's faith is alive and the evidence of this is the way he prays for his people. David is displaying the heart of a servant king, isn't he? But of course the ultimate servant king is Jesus. He came to serve and not to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. I like in Isaiah 53 verse 2, it uses this language of the tree or, you know, listen, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus, the suffering servant king, is the true and better servant king than King David. And if you think about it, the cross is the ultimate imagery of ministry while suffering, or ministry in the pressures of life. The heat of the world's sin is burning down onto Jesus, all the pressures of the world's sin on his shoulder from the past, present, and the future. And yet he's still serving. He's giving us everything. If you want God to change you, to grow you, to transform you, then serve others when you don't feel like it. Some of my strongest and most memorable ministry moments have been um, while being sick. I used to, we used to have a youth camp at St Hills every year, around this time of the year. It was always in winter, and I had to do the talks, five, five talks each night, and it's a a lot of preparation, and I always would get a really bad chest cold. And I remember at least two or three times getting to the point of coughing uncontrollably and thinking, how am I going to get through these talks? And um, Meg Walbridge actually was my, my drug supplier, uh, doc, doc, Dr. Meg Walbridge, and she gave me this kind of codeine cocktail, and she said, if you, if you have this milligrams of codeine, you'll stop coughing. Sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? Anyway, it worked. But nevertheless, God didn't need me to be perfect. In fact, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 to 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, of course, I need to put a disclaimer in here that I'm not talking about just being a churchaholic, you know, and then burning yourself out. Uh, there's an unhealthiness that can come over us sometimes and we can do too much and then we get burnt out. And that's not what I'm talking about here. Uh, this application is more directed to those of us who are just living our normal Christian lives and never want to bail because the pressures of life are on. Okay. We want to stay away from church. We just want to stay home and just sort of flop on the couch, you know, because we don't know how to handle stuff. We need to do this with our Christian brothers and sisters. Let's just look at the sixth thing that David does in the psalm because it helps us to get the right perspective on this, which is... He rests. Verse 7. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. 
In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. God's going to provide him well-being and security. King David has an inner joy, even though the external is not going so well. And David reflects on the fact that there are others around him who worship Baal, and they seem to have kind of a better life, and what's going on with them? And then for him, he worships the one true God, and things aren't going so well. Nevertheless, he keeps putting his trust in Yahweh. This psalm pleads for God to put things right. David trusts in God, and David wants his supporters and everyone else to have that same trust in their hardship. Even though he is in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is still there shepherding him. He can lie down and sleep even when he's been crushed. So what's his response been? He's not run from God. He's reminded himself that he's God's child. He's examined his heart. He worships, he ministers, and he rests. Okay. Now, undoubtedly, you're going to look at a story like this and you're going to say, well, that's King David, God's anointed. And of course he's going to do that. I mean, he can write 150 psalms. He can, you know, do all kinds of amazing things. But that's not me. I can never do what he did. Just remind us, let's remind ourselves that King David is he's not, he's not a golden child. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He messed up lots of times. But this psalm reminds us that God works through sinful people like David, like me, and like you. Now, here's the big point. Okay, here's the big point. If you've tuned out, tune in now. Tune in just for one second. With God, fruity trees can still bear fruit in the harsh, burning hot sun in the middle of the desert. If you think of yourself as that fruity tree, you can bear fruit no matter what the pressures of life are giving you in this broken world. And the wrong response to this is to say to yourself, this is what I should be doing, but it's calm. Rather say to yourself, this is what God is doing in me too. These things are possible for me. David's Redeemer is my Redeemer. The God who ruled David's heart and gave him peace is in my heart as well. I can make good choices, do good things, and harvest good fruit even when life is hard. And this is not about some kind of mechanical formula for the Christian life. It's not rules for living. It's about God's grace working in our lives and enabling us to have hearts that are transformed. David couldn't have done what he did on his own. He did it in God's strength. For it is you alone, Lord, this is quoting the psalm, who makes me dwell in safety. The authors of How People Change, the book that I've, I've used for this series, to help us with this series, they write this. God does more than deliver us from the heat of the pressures of life. He delivers us from ourselves so that we can stand up under the heat and not merely survive but bear good fruit. Under the heat of unappreciated sacrifice, perseverance can grow. In the middle of physical suffering, peace and sturdy faith can blossom. In the midst of want, 
giving can grow with the thorns of our sins and idols once lived. Under the heat of life in a fallen world, new and surprising fruit can and does grow. Listen to Jesus' words in John 7, 37. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water flow from within them. This is the the Holy Spirit flowing within us. Where there was death, now there is life. It's interesting in the great passage on spiritual fruit in Galatians 5 and 6. It starts with a warning against self-indulgence. Because Paul knows that when the pressures of life are on, when the sun's burning on our hearts through the magnifying glass and we're feeling all that pressure, what we tend to do is become self-absorbed. We think about ourselves and this is me and this is my problems. And Paul writes in Galatians to be careful about that. Don't indulge the flesh. But he says, stay committed to your ministry and to your life and your faith. Listen to this from chapter Galatians 6, verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As we learn to say no to our idols, no to our temptations, no to our self-indulgence. The Holy Spirit works powerfully to produce his fruit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the hope of the Christian life. Yes, the sun beats down on us, the pressures of life mount up, but the hope of the Christian life is that fruit grows even when the heat is scorching. We need to remind ourselves, I am a child of God. God is growing fruit in me, even as I feel like I'm standing here on my own in the desert. God has given me spiritual resources that I need to grow this fruit in this time of struggle. This is not impossible for me because I have God working in me. I can do this because I am joined to Christ. I can do this because I have the Holy Spirit's power. I can live with integrity. I can seek out godly help from my Christian brothers and sisters around me. I can express my emotions in a godly way. I will let grace shape my relationships. I will be ready to forgive people. I will humbly ask for forgiveness when I need it. I will respond to other people's sin with grace. I will live in the power of the resurrected Jesus. Friends, God does not promise to, to protect us always from the difficulties of life. He doesn't promise that. Suffering is part of this world. But he does make it his goal to change us in and through those difficulties. And I pray that today and this week and this year, that we will all start to experience that change in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that we can look to King David and to King Jesus as our guide and our power and our strength. Thank you that you've given us this psalm 
and thank you, thank you that you sent Jesus um, to be the, the, the truest and the most perfect example of this, of a, of a man who, who experienced all the sufferings that anyone could bear and yet produced amazing spiritual fruit, life-changing, life-transforming, love and joy and, and, and service of other people. I pray for all of us, no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what struggles we're facing, big and small, that we can trust in you, that you can give us the strength we need to continue to grow no matter what. Amen.